Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. Uh, we are inside Radio Row in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. I am still wearing makeup. Drew Dinsick is not wearing makeup yet. Our guest Rufus Peabody also not wearing makeup at this stage, not yet anyway. Uh, Rufus, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we'll get into the questions and everything, but how are you liking Vegas so far? Um, you know, I, I know it pretty well and I like it, and I wish I got makeup. Yeah. <laughs> Back from my ESPN days, I really enjoyed that. You know, I was like, my face looks flawless. Yes. You know. <laughs> the funny thing for me with makeup now is that when I go out for dinner with my wife, I feel compelled to have makeup on because she's putting makeup on I spend my whole day wearing makeup because I'm on TV most days but I don't but, uh, but I feel that I should so now there's like two J's and now I just never feel comfortable unless I'm uh, not wearing makeup uh, anyway uh, let's get stuck into it uh, Rufus I want to ask you about um, obviously about the Super Bowl uh, you are I should say professional better founder of Unabated Sports which I use a lot uh, co-host of Bet the Process as well and uh, we can talk about that but just in terms of betting the Super Bowl how has that changed you know over your course as a better in terms of do you think the pricing efficiency has gotten better how's the limits landscape changed all of that I mean I think the whole ecosystem has changed with legalization in the United States back in the day most of our effort was spent um betting the openers so you had books that were pricing these props and they would be doing it once a year so a, a, a prop like will there be a roughing the passer penalty was available once a year the win would open it minus 115 to the no every single year and every single year we bet it to minus 200 and so for us it was a race to be to beat the other bet, uh, professional betting groups to these numbers and so that was most of the action whereas now a lot of these props are priced um, or offered by books every single week and so the, the pricing is a lot more efficient. I mean, obviously, if you're getting that kind of feedback every single week, you're going to be better at pricing it. And so uh, we've sort of switched to betting more the, the weekend and the day of the game just because um, you still have inefficiencies then because the public is driving up these prices. And I think this year in particular, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens given that the Super Bowl is here in Las Vegas if there is more recreational money driving the Kelsey receiving yards props up, the McCaffrey rushing yards props up, right? And, and I'm hoping to be able to, to really get some juicy unders on game day. Okay, so uh, you're, you're pulling for like... Uh, Rams Patriots type of uh, oh, type of a game. That, that's always yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So, uh, as far as your process goes, can you shed a little bit of light on uh, how you treat a game like this, where you have a team uh, coming in with the Chiefs who have put together an uninspiring campaign in terms of offensive efficiency and uh, and success over the balance of the year, but they do have the more experienced coach and quarterback. Uh, does that uh, you know kind of complicate how you would particular you know price a game like this up against a team that may be more talented uh, but certainly less experienced? Honestly, not especially. So I, I treat the side and total markets as if they're pretty efficient. Okay. And, and so when, you, when people ask me, do I consider a particular game narrative, I consider the, like, the possibility of narratives that could happen with a, a spread of minus two and a total of 47 and a half. Yep. I think that is something that, you know, a lot of bettors who, like the main stuff that I'm betting are futures and awards and, you know, softer markets. And I think that sometimes a lot of people, they frankly they spend too much time on trying to figure out like are the jacksonville jaguars good at football it's like we've got the answer here right for us in a fairly efficient market but um i want to talk a bit more about 
player prop markets and like finding efficiency because uh, I think that like if you have a bad line or totals and opener, it will find efficiency by close. But with player props, I think it's a kind of a unique market-making process where, think back to week two, Christian McCaffrey, I believe against the Rams, he was set at, he opened at 66 and a half rushing yards uh, in the market. Wow. And I thought that was just completely insane and that it should be genuinely 20 yards higher. But for a week two NFL game, you're often not going to get a prop that is going to be able to find efficiency if it opens 20 yards too low because everyone maxes out 66 and a half, then 67, then 68, and then all of a sudden everyone has kind of had their fill and people will stop pushing it. But like, how do you find that? Do you find the prop market has gotten any more efficient? So I, I think it has gotten more efficient, and but I do think there are big inefficiencies, and I think there's a lot of overreactions. So last week we were able to bet Lamar Jackson rushing yards under 69 and a half under 68 and a half all the way down to like under 65 and a half is what we took the week before his number was in the high to mid 40s so that's a huge overreaction to one game yep. now um i think what what you tend to see with the super bowl though is you will see initially the initial moves when the lines come out are going to be sharp moves and so something will like like maybe open 71 and a half get bet down to 65 and a half or something like that and then there's kind of a lull like right now we're in that lull period but as we get closer to the weekend, you're going to start seeing more public action trickle in because, let's face it, I mean, recreational bettors are not betting on this stuff a week and a half before the game. And so uh, it's, you're going to see the lines continue to creep up and up and up, and then game day, it's going to be pretty unpredictable. But you could see, you could see lines pretty much shoot up here, especially in Nevada, um, more so Nevada than elsewhere because you have, unique, um, you have new unique books here. You have super books in a few other states. South Point, Circa's in a few states. Um, and so they're trying to manage their liability, and they don't want, the, they don't want to have, uh, you know, I mean, they know they're going to be taking lots of Kelsey bets, lots of McCaffrey bets, but um, they're, they're, they'd rather actually move the price a little bit rather than just uh, say, let's just have a big decision. And so it, it's going to be really interesting to see, like, which, which guys get bet up. And, uh, and, and so it's, the, it's a unique game in the fact that the closing line is oftentimes less efficient than the opening line for these player props okay so fade the late creep uh as uh you know as there's a little bit of push into uh some of these player prop markets is a fun uh, kind of angle i haven't really thought about um i am almost strictly sticking two sides in in uh, nfl nowadays a little bit of totals um and very little props very light props for me so and i've always kind of had respect for how difficult it is to come up with fares for props on a Super Bowl when you're not doing it week in, week out. And I think your points are, are extremely fair of like if the bookmakers have to now think about these every week for a same game parlay type of, uh, you know, kind of markets, then yeah, of course, they're not going to open as soft. That said, uh, you know, I'm, I would have lost a bet on how liquid some of these player prop markets are in terms of how much you can get down, how many times you can rebet, and where you can, you know, the, the kind of feeding frenzy for, you know, all of these uh, legal outs to try to, you know, generate the, the handle on this sort of stuff. Like, it does, is, has this caught you by surprise? Do you think we are on an uptrend here where this continues to grow? And, uh, you know, I guess is, is, is this just a kind of, you know, found money for someone like you? Well, you know, what's <laughs> funny is that the Westgate, I was there on thir- last Thursday when they had their sort of prop release night, and, and I asked Jay Cornegay, I was like, when are we going to get an inflation adjustment to these limits? Because it's been two thousand dollars since I moved out to Vegas in two thousand eight. So, uh, but I will say you're right. In most places, like game day, when books have taken two sided action, they're going to up those limits. I mean, circa last year, you saw ten thousand dollar limits for certain props, and so I mean they they feel comfortable with their number at that point and are willing to take action. Yep. 
How are you calculating uh, player injuries into kind of prop adjustments with things like, not so much like oh, if a quarterback goes down, okay, there's a lot of, you know, even publicly available data on what the drop-off is um, from uh, Kirk Cousins down to Josh Dobbs and so forth. But when Joe Tooney goes down and it looks like, I mean, everyone keeps saying he has a significant pec injury and he's a chance to play. I'm pretty sure a significant pec injury, he has a torn pectoral muscle, <laughs> which is usually like six months out or something. I don't yeah. think he's going to play. Sure. So how does... How do you factor in like how that affects Isaiah Pacheco and his rushing ability and the Chiefs' offense in general? Because it is kind of it's difficult to quantify an offense, a single offensive lineman's impact. It is, and and that's not my strength to be honest. I might make a small manual adjustment, but the one interesting thing with handicapping props is thinking about in-game injuries. So McCaffrey, I expect to be on the field basically every play unless he bonks his head again, yep, sure. um, or or he needs a breather or he gets injured. Uh, I think that the the 49ers have been saving him and managing his workload all season so that he can play every single play. Now, what happens if he gets injured? What's the probability that he gets injured? Like, I make his rushing yards mean total, I think, 101 yards, which is higher than the market, um, but that's assuming that he plays the full game, and that's the median's going to be a little bit lower also. But if you know he has a 9% chance of getting injured, which is, I think, what I have it estimated at, there's a very good chance that, I mean, that... Well, that's not a very good chance he gets injured, but that creates a whole different set of of circumstances in in which case, you know, you could see him only have 30 rushing yards or something. And so, and think about how that affects Elijah Mitchell. Sure. Like, so basically what I have is like, I run these simulations with this probability of injury and I say, okay, 9% chance he gets injured. If he gets injured, it could be a simulate where he gets injured, any point in the game, just even distribution, uniform distribution. And then I have a projection for Elijah Mitchell that basically says, if he was playing the whole game, this is what he would be. And so then, in that case, he gets injured, Mitchell gets those carries. And so um, I think that's... I think that's a challenge, though. It's it's because you know I have no idea what the true injury probabilities are. I mean, um, and and then when you think about like Debo Samuel, who's someone who's yeah. very injury prone, he's got to be the highest like, you've ever priced for a, a game like this. Right? Oh yeah, and then you have Juwan Jennings, who doesn't see that much involvement or snaps with with both those guys are healthy with um, Samuel and Ayuk, but you know if one of those guys goes down, he's suddenly a major player. And so I think um, I think it it creates some interesting opportunities, especially for like alternate alternate uh, props, which now you see a lot more of those at the domestic sports outside of Nevada. Is there anything do you think that matchup effects and perceived strengths and weaknesses tend to be overvalued a little bit in that like all like a lot of what you know we talk about and a lot of what all the people here are going to talk about is that the Niners have a very below average rushing defense and so everyone is uh, you know thinks that Isaiah Pacheco is going to have a good game and that's what like I think Isaiah Pacheco will have a good game because they have a bad rushing defense but they can also just put an eighth man in the box and then all of a sudden that gets mitigated and also the Ravens had the best rushing offense in football and their running backs ran the ball six times and obviously a lot of this matchup stuff in football gets swallowed up by game script Uh, do you think it gets a little over I do. And in a way, when I'm handicapping props, what I'm trying to do is the same thing as what coaches are trying to do. I'm trying to figure out what the teams are going to, what the teams are going to do, what their game plans are going to be. And so if everybody knew what the game plan would be, it would be a lot easier. (laughs) But I think the whole point is these teams do, you know, want to throw wrinkles that teams are not expecting. So I think it's difficult. And I do think it is, it does make the matchup things harder, but I will say it is interesting. There's certain coaches that stylistically they're like we're going to do what we do best it doesn't matter who we're playing whereas there's other coaches who are going to throw some wrinkles at you they're going to try to take away your best player they're you know they're they're more malleable yep 
No, that makes sense. I got to ask you a personal question a little away from the game. So uh, I tend to wind down my staking as we get to the end of the season just because I have sort of been trained or taught myself that like, hey, the deeper we go, the more efficient this market gets. So just, you know, settle down, chill out. Like, you know, you don't want to be in, you know, sweating through a Super Bowl like your, your, your year depends on it. And yet here, this has got to be probably one of the more liquid days of the year for you. Do you enjoy the Super Bowl? What do you do? You know, it, it is, and it has been pretty stressful for me over the years. Sure. It's, I mean, watching it isn't, isn't much fun. But <laughs> So I don't bet as much NFL anymore, so sure. it's definitely the biggest exposure I have on the NFL in one day. Yeah. But relative to all the other stuff I'm betting, I mean, the Super Bowl volume is going to not even be like 30% of our volume this, you know, the, this week so oh, wow. with college basketball we'll have more in action on college basketball on saturday than saturday than we will on props wow yep. that's surprising okay <laughs> uh, we're gonna hit a little ad and then we'll uh follow up some more questions if you want another sweat during super bowl week drew and i have you covered with a special edition of bet the edge on thursday night join us on our nfl and nbc sports youtube channel uh, at 9 p.m eastern for an nfl awards Live watch along and find out how we feel about the winners for Coach of the Year, Comeback Player, and much more. And you can watch a grown man cry if D'Amico Ryans or Damar Hamlin go down uh, in those markets. Uh, I will wander off into the Vegas night, um, hopefully never to be seen again. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Okay, more Super Bowl. Really interested, Rufus, in what you make of just the idea of Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, which I think that is... You know, a big part of everyone's perception of this game is that Purdy has looked uh, fragile uh, at times in these playoff games and the Ravens game as well, which I think was kind of a playoff type of atmosphere. Whereas Mahomes famously, uh, you know, raises his game to another level in the playoffs. I think a lot of that is just he avoids turnovers in the playoffs and has avoided turnover worthy plays. Uh, and also with Mahomes too, there's this element that whenever he is a dog or a field, uh, less than a field goal favorite, he covers at a disproportionate rate. Do you think there actually is something material about Mahomes going to another level in these big games? You know, that, that's a really good question. I think if, if, if we knew the answer, it would be a lot easier, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> if, if that was the case, if we thought that that was predictive, the market did, then you would see that the Chiefs is the favorite here. But I think that's what we're all trying to predict. And I think the way to look at that is to look and see historically if there are other quarterbacks who've kind of done the same thing. And so that, that would be my approach to looking at it and sort of seeing if there's a distribution of how guys have done in, like, well, in clutch moments or in the playoffs or things like that um, relative to expectation overall and, and, and if that tends to be predictive going forward. I have not run that analysis um, <laughs> personally, um, but I, I, I do think um, – that's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I don't mind chiming in and saying that, yes, it's a thing. Like, yeah. it is. It just is. Like, uh, Alex Honnold is not the world's greatest free climber by accident. Like, he has specific biology in his brain where he's not afraid, 
right? And if you are capable of being on that stage and performing at that level consistently, like it's it's just a thing. Like I, I don't mind uh, kind of making that leap at all. That said, uh, he's going to have to do it with some guys who don't necessarily have those genes in the wide receiving core for the Chiefs, uh, which I think could uh, kind of be one of the limiting factors in their offense overall. But uh, I'm I'm on the Niners, so I'm talking myself even, in, even more into that. Wait, does he raise his game, or does he just not fold under the bright lights? That's I, yeah. that's the question. Because yeah. if he raises his game, then it's like, why doesn't he raise his game? You know, it's, it's almost saying he's not 100%, going 100% the rest of the time. I think the thing is, is that well, a couple of things. One, I do think they ramp up the passing plays and sure. the playoffs relative to regular season stuff. And I think that there is an element of, you know, calling the best plays with Andy Reid uh, on that side. I think as well that just, and like, I haven't tested this, but I think there is an idea as well that uh, players like Mahomes and Josh Allen who uh, have a great scrambling ability, potentially can do that more so in the playoffs. Think back to the AFC title game last year. Mahomes effectively wins the game by, you know, sacrificing his body on the sideline uh, and getting the roughing penalty. So I think that is an aspect of it too. As to whether that like a clutch gene and stuff, isn't there something with Novak Djokovic where sure. on like key points, Novak Djokovic has this insane disproportionate win rate no on question. key points? No question. Well, um, yeah. I mean, in tennis, as Drew knows, I think, you know, players are not playing all points equally correct yeah. if you're up a break in a set you're going for quick points yeah. like think pete sampras back in the day sure yeah. but i think your point about mahomes rushing and, and quarterbacks rushing more is very valid and that does hold true in the data and that's why you see mahomes rushing props at like 28 and a half 29 and a half rushing yards where if you look at his average this season it's nowhere close to that but sure. he scrambles at a, dis- at a at a much higher rate than he does during the regular season as do these other rushing quarterbacks and i think you know there is no tomorrow like they're going to sacrifice their body a little bit more. Okay. Let me uh, ask you a speculative question about the side market. Uh, since this is, I'm, I'm just kind of curious if you have a, a sense of, of this. Um, the Ravens last, uh, you know, AFC championship game got bet aggressively. That number closed, what, four and a half. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a pretty one-sided sharp move in favor of the Ravens. Yeah. I was on Chiefs. the wrong side of that. <laughs> yes. Sure. I like many, many were, many were, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, Chiefs were dogs against the Bills. That was less lopsided, but there was certainly some sharp Bills action in that in that market. Um, last year's Super Bowl, where you know, the, I thought for sure the Chiefs were going to close favorites. There was plenty of support for the Eagles. Uh, ultimately, like, do you think that there is any kind of um, hesitance or tendency for the market makers in these, you know, in a market this presumably this efficient? Like, are they just tired of fading Mahomes? You know, I think they're trying to draw pretty balanced action for the Super Bowl. I know, you know. On a normal give like NFL Sunday game, you know they may have disproportionate action on one side, and it's not going to be a huge deal. But just given how much is bet on the Super Bowl, they actually do care more about balancing the action. And I think what you see a book like Circa do is really interesting, where they will they, they will move a number if they're not getting a lot of action on one side, they move a number, and then maybe move it if nobody's betting, move it further just to sort of see to gauge where people are and where the where you know, where there will be resistance to sort of really have an idea of what that number is. I mean, you ask if the bookmakers are tired of Mahomes doing this, um, (laughs) probably, but, uh, you know, it, it, but it actually really depends on what their exposure is. Sure. No, sure. Do you bet same game parlays? Sometimes not, it's not a big focus of mine. Yeah. So I do think that is, and look, there is a, I think a reticence for, you know, professional bettors or bettors in general who, um, trying to win that uh, to bet same game parlays because books hold at 20 to 30 percent on same game parlays as opposed to you know you have 4.7 percent on a minus 110 side but i do think there are 
a lot more angles on the NFL with same-game parlays than uh, I would think any other sport, given that just the nature of the game is so variable, dependent on game state, in a way that baseball is not. Baseball, you are just, for the most part, trying to score or prevent runs. Whereas in football, the the kind of the state that the game is in uh, and teams abandoning or emphasizing the run or pass or key players, I think that you know there are ways to build stories around how the game will unfold um, in, at the tails that sometimes aren't captured. And also for same game parlays, limits tend to be much higher because their books are expected to hold at around 25%. Um, and so is that something that you know you might explore going forward in terms of just given how variable it is dependent on game state? First of all, I completely agree that the, though they are money-printing machines for the books overall, there are huge vulnerabilities. And if you think, of, think about how they're priced. So to price these well, you can't do it with just a model. Um, you need to run simulations of these games. And so it really depends on how good that simulation engine and that process is. And if it is able to account for these different game states and, and the different dependencies on there. So when you're up against a model, it's, you're up against a model, not a market, basically. Um, think about the things that would be really harder, that would be harder to, to model. And I said there's no model, but the, it's the model that goes into the simulation engine, I guess I should say. And so I completely agree with your point that, that there are certain things in the tails that are going to be really, really hard for them to price out accurately. And so uh, if you can find the sort of exceptions to the rule, I think there are huge opportunities there. Yeah, stuff that is inverse correlation that is built in as being likely correlated, but stuff like that, is that what, you, is that what you're referring There's to? There's certainly, right. If you think about like certain teams, uh, you know, overall a quarterback will be positively correlated with a wide receiver or something, or in maybe a wide receiver one uh, and a wide receiver two might have, I don't, I don't even know what the correlation there is exactly, but, but there are certain, actually, let, let, let's, let's, Let's talk about, uh, I think, running backs. Maybe sure. there's one running back who only gets goal line carries. Um, and so, you know, if he, he might have one carry for one yard and a touchdown. And so there's not going to be this huge correlation between his rush attempts and, and whether he scores a touchdown or his yards. So, I mean, I think that he, there, there are exceptions to the sort of general rules. And if you can find those, as you said, Drew, I think those, that's a really good way to approach it. Yep. I think with a lot of the modeling behind um, same-game parlays and behind tails and alternate spreads, it's just ultimately not that sophisticated at books. Like I talk, Drew and I were talking about this example yeah. where um, in terms of a team's alternate spreads, like if you are a team that is a two-point favorite with a total of 47.5, then your alternate spread of minus 14.5 is going to be the same no matter what team you are, Correct. right? But I think there just has to be certain team profiles of strengths and weaknesses that lend themselves more yeah. to blowing teams out. And I haven't tested this, but I would think that if you have, uh, like the Niners and the Ravens do, where you have elite rushing offenses uh, and much better pass defenses than rush defenses then I think that you are just much more likely to blow teams out given the game state of playing with a lead than another team is um, that has a really poor pass defense, for instance. So yeah. that stuff like that, that yeah. is not taken into account whatsoever in pricing. Well, and think about, think about Mahomes and all his comeback victories. Yeah. Like, we have a spread of two and a total of 47 and a half. You know, I, I would definitely argue that the Chiefs down 10 are going to be much more likely to, to come back than an average yep. two-point underdog. No question. But, yeah. So yeah. Even yeah. against a very good pass rush because Mahomes is unsackable. <laughs> yeah. 
Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I think back to, I mean, last Super Bowl, I think the Eagles were minus 400 yeah. uh, at halftime. Um, and uh, <laughs> it did not feel like a super steady minus 400 going up against Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I agree with that. Um, right, did, did, you, did, you, did you bet the Chiefs money line at the half? Uh, no, because the other factor was that is that the final <laughs> Chiefs offensive play, Mahomes limped off to the yes, sideline yeah. with his ankle. And yeah. I think at that point, I, I'm basically betting on how effective the drugs going into Patrick Mahomes' ankle are. It's yeah. like a big part of the handicap. I also had a, a ton of Chiefs from prior to the game, which <laughs> yes. at that point I was just ready to uh, yeah. ride off into I think this, I mean, uh, this time last year I was beating the drum. Only time in our lives so we're going to get to bet Pat Mahomes as a dog in the Super Bowl, so you got to make it worthwhile. And, uh, yeah, yeah, turns and, out not to be. <laughs> I need to find the trainers in this room. I mean, they have to be here somewhere, <laughs> yeah. right? I think so, yeah. I mean, that's going to be yeah a big part of this. Uh, all right, one more raid, then i got another question for you, Rufus. Join the party on the PGA Tour at TPC Scottsdale this week as Scotty Scheffler goes for his third straight title at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Check out all the big drives. Holeouts and Rowdy fans on the 17th green on NBC Golf Channel as well as Peacock where you can stream the entire tournament. Scotty Scheffler, plus 450 favorite to win a golf tournament. Uh, he's like the last man standing, right? And you know what? Mind. You know what's crazy is I actually think there's a little bit of value there. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just a touch. But And I, I, I hate taking favorites, but yeah. yeah. It is like, I can't remember the stat exactly, but it's like 24 out of 25 tournaments Scotty Scheffler has finished in the top 12. He's Something just, of that. He's so consistently good, and the thing is, he's still underperforming on, on the greens. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. really, really hard to do that well and be a below-average putter. Yeah. And it's hard to be that good in all these other facets of your game and have been a good putter in the past yeah. and then putt this poorly. I mean, I, I kind of expect him his putting to improve. Yeah. I mean, if it does, then he's basically just Tiger Woods 2.0 um, and going off at plus 150 to win Surely. these types of tournaments. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Last one for you from me, Rufus, is about golf. Uh, you had a great tweet about what happened uh, at Pebble Beach with the tournament being called after 54 holes and betters trying to take advantage of that when there was, uh, I mean, some indication that that might happen, but books left those markets up. Um, just wondering, like, do you think that, is there anything, uh, I guess, in a macro sense that you would prefer books to be doing now that they're not doing? Well, I, th- I think the big problem is just it's is a systemic one. It's the fact that they have they have all these different offerings and they allow you to parlay basically everything which way um, that they end up having these huge vulnerabilities when they when they when there are oversights. In this case, it was an oversight of a book to say you know these markets are not valid um, live if the tournament if seventy two holes aren't completed. And so, I mean, people were parlaying everybody in the top 10 at the end of round three and you could get i don't know what, what was it like a million to one odds or almost yeah. it's like i saw a ticket that was like yeah. 200 or it was 20 or 20 dollars to win like almost yeah. a million right like that that's a huge <laughs> like that's a huge issue on the sportsbook side and i don't think it, it's just you know if it hadn't happened here um it would happen somewhere else of course because yeah. while a, a tournament being called after 54 holes isn't normal it's not unprecedented either and so um i just think that like I, I think, in essence, the foundation um, 
Well, you you have a house that's built on a foundation that's a little bit, um, I don't know the right, shaky. And yep. so it's because, as you said, like these same game parlays are such money money printing machines for these books. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to look the other way. Yeah, sure. They've gotten away with some black swans. It's Chargers, uh, See, I don't Chargers, even think Raiders, this is a black tie. swan. Right, that's, <laughs> but the thing is, there are going to be more of these things that yeah. happen. We don't know which things they're sure. going to be. They are known unknowns. Sure. Yep. I think there just has to be an element of, one, I don't think that, and I agree with what you said in your tweet, where I don't think betters should feel as though they were hugely wronged, because they knew no. what, everyone knew what they were doing. No. You were you're, trying you're, to get away with something, and you didn't get sure. away with it. Uh, it's like... I mean, it's not like committing a, a, a crime and they're not expecting <laughs> to get arrested, but there is an element where you have to know this is going to happen. This is this is a palpable error in effect. Sure. I do think as well, though, that there has to be some level of accountability for a book. And I used to work at a book, and I remember that there was, um, after Kobe Bryant's death and what teams and players were doing, The I can't remember if it was the following day where they're dribbling out the shot clock for 24 seconds to honor Kobe and so then everyone starts hammering unders on first quarter totals and stuff because they're basically getting a free possession and like those markets were left up like you have to honor those bets like there has to be some level of accountability the issue is is the level of accountability it very much fluctuates based on how big the payout has to be really (laughs) sure right and I think you need risk management practices in place so that you you know so that there are safeguards against this whereas when when, when, if it if alarm bells don't go off if if you suddenly have you know millions of dollars in exposure on this one thing you know maybe that's that's an issue. Yeah, no. I, I, some of my favorite stories, some stories we were telling last night at dinner, are getting one over on the book. Like it's very, very fun to kind of feel like, hey, I just got away with something. Like this is uh, this is fun. It's a fun story to tell. Um, but in the end, like you're not making those bets in good faith. You're 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 shooting you're shooting an angle, and you know it's uh, it, it's it, when the power exists within the bookmakers, you know, with the regulators, like you know, you're not going to get paid on that sort of stuff, and you shouldn't expect it. You should just. You know, consider it a, a a fun tale you can tell your friends in t- in ten years. So, so my question for you guys is, where do you draw that line? Sure. So, I you know I came up sports betting in Las Vegas. I worked for Odds Makers, Las Vegas Sports Consultants, a bunch of people that had been had been doing this for decades. Um, you know, back in the the days of the Stardust, um, being the the opener for the world world betting market, and so I, I kind of learned about betting is like the the spirit of the game was kind of was was the the way i I think about it and so like betting past posting betting after an event had started if books left up a a line that that wasn't in the spirit of the game finding kind of correlated parlays that's in the spirit of the game um i don't know if my opinion's right or anything like this 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 is just the way i view it but where, where is that line I think it's like a, it's a legal burden of proof type of thing where if it's clear and obvious, then clear and obvious is the line. If you're betting on a slightly correlated parlay, if you're getting a one possession edge on an NBA first quarter team total, I don't think that is enough to warrant voiding bets. I think that if you're parlaying effectively known outcomes to win millions of dollars, then that is clear and obvious. I think that everything past posting, that 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 books should be within their rights to void those because those at that point those are not they're not real bets like they're just basically taking money out of an account so i would just use the burden of proof of clear yeah. and obvious and i guess that's gray but i don't think there's a way to like create a perfect yeah, you, you'll know when you see it type of stuff yeah, yeah. that sounds is, about right is there any way we can learn from this and have the ecosystem improve well, yeah, obviously, like if you're, I mean, I, you should have risk management practices in place if you're a book that's taking same game parlays to where you know immediately like, 
oh man, we've just taken two bets on the same, you know, black swan. Like this is, needs to get looked into. It needs to get voided immediately. Like you know, I, I, I'm surprised that it took as long as it did for them to take any action, and I'm surprised they wrote as many bets after the tournament was stopped. Like effectively, yeah, after after round three was over, like why why are you writing a single bet at that point? I don't, nobody must have been watching the golf coverage because Jim Nance was talking <laughs> yeah. about it very, very incessantly and how like there's a chance that the tournament's called after 54 yeah. holes. So. Yeah. I have to ask you one more golf question as long as we got you because you are the preeminent golf uh, you know, originator that I know. Um, the Live Guys, it's becoming an epidemic at this point where you know the PGA Tour feels like it's suffering a bit in terms of talent. Um, but I understand what's happening very clearly in that if you go to the Live Tour, you are less likely to be uh, subject to the physical fatigue that you know the, P- that the calendar... Uh, for the PGA Tour puts Wait, you is, through and gives you why they're going to live a little below well, that in the money but like <laughs> you, you have money. a little bit higher likelihood I think of winning majors and masters is right around the corner um, you know how how do you view uh, you know sort of the pool of contenders for the masters in a way that you know and is is it is it a fair fight between the guys who are sticking around on the PGA Tour versus the guys who are coming in via live? You're saying live guys are less fatigued, so they have a better chance of winning majors. That's my read. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna call bull on that. Really? Narrative. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I I would say it's more likely they're rusty from not playing as much. So very interesting. Okay. okay. I yep. felt like there was a decent amount of overperformance from the live guys last year, and that's kind of helping or at least seems to have uh, kind of made a lot of people make well, additional well, decisions I think that's, about moves. So the thing is, I think that you had guys at the top do well, but overall they didn't overperform. I wonder how so much of that is just like Brooks Kepka cares way more about majors. Okay. And he kind of this skews. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. He's, the, he's the Patrick Mahomes, huh? Of, yeah, he is the Patrick Mahomes. Golf. <laughs> yeah. He's also a fun, well, in a way, like a live betting candidate where it's like being able to get the first look at Brooks Kepka and see, if, okay, is Brooks Kepka uh, taking this tournament seriously uh, or not? Um, Wait, speaking of live really quickly, did you know that for $10,000, you and you could play in the pro am tomorrow. Is that right? I, I, I was considering it this morning okay. until right. I realized I have too much work and there's no yeah. way I can it's do it. It's going to be terrible. Weather. Maybe I'll awesome. do that and yeah. shoot 112. I'm like this um, is worth it for networking. Just wanted to touch on something you said previously, Rufus, about um, trading and risk management systems of books. Like I think a lot of people who don't work in the industry they don't realize that a lot of these bookmakers, like legal bookmakers in the U.S., they are primarily marketing and tech companies before they are trading houses. Yes. And when you look at like the uh, salary structures of bookmakers like trading and customer service they sit at the bottom like t- a lot of books do not invest nearly as much into their trading uh, risk management systems as they do their marketing spend clearly because you can kind of get by with uh, you know having sure. with uh, limiting shops and um, and just kind of reorienting your resources elsewhere to get higher value clients and not worry as much and I think that that is something that will hopefully change. And if that leads to more pricing efficiency and less edges, as long as that comes with higher limits and more confidence um, in your pricing and in your system, um, then I think that would be a net gain for, uh, for everyone. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Rufus, uh, anything that you'd like to, to plug? I know Unabated Sports, I recommend that everyone um, signs up. I use Unabated. It's great. It's an odd screen. Uh, I really enjoy the NFL season simulator tool as well, which is super useful. I'm glad you like that. That's, um, that was my favorite to build. Yeah, that, uh, that's a fun one. But anything else you want to plug? No, first off, I actually use Unabated every day myself. It's, <laughs> I, I have a, yeah, the company is tools that I actually use myself. Um, but also Bet the Process podcast, which I do with Jeff Ma, who is of MIT Blackjack fame. Sure. Um, and we, it's a sports betting analytics podcast, and we talk to really interesting people. Okay. 
Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rufus. Uh, don't forget everyone to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us as a podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports from Jay Croucher, Drew Dinsick, and Rufus Peabody. Thank you for listening. Drew and I will be back tomorrow from Radio Runner.